This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Horsin' Around. Saddle up and get ready to have a darn tootin', gallopin' good time as we trot out the show that's your ultimate horse sorts, of course. Find out how to use good old horse sense when it comes to breeding, feeding, training, and explaining. From practical tips on caring for your horse's health to advice on how to buy horse supplies, including bridles, halters, saddles, and more. So get ready to start horsing around with your host, horse expert and award-winning rider, Audrey Pavia. Howdy, Audrey. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Horsing Around at PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're going to talk about herd-bound horses. Our guest this week is internationally renowned trainer and clinician, Julie Goodnight. Julie is going to tell us why some horses are so desperately attached to other horses to the point that they are unsafe. We'll also find out what we can do as riders to deal with this issue. We'll be right back after these messages. Why the long face? I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsors. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we are going to talk to Julie Goodnight. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Let's talk about the true definition of a herd-bound horse. What exactly does it mean when we say a horse is herd-bound? Well, that's very simple because all horses are herd-bound. It's, it's the very essence of the nature of horses. And in reality, instead of talking about horse behavior, it's sometimes more productive to just talk about herd behavior because the number one survival factor for a horse is being accepted into a herd. And there's no situation in nature in which horses live in isolation. And so from a horse's point of view, his his very survival is dependent upon the herd. And so everything about the horse is, is herd-bound. And the only reason horses will willingly leave the safety and the comfort of the herd is if they feel like they can get that safety and comfort from the person that they're leaving the herd with. And that's where our actions come in, and that's where sometimes we sorely fall down on the job. Tell me why herd-bound behavior is such a problem for riders. Well, I talk about in clinics and demos a lot that there's a term in England, and they refer to horses as being nappy. And it's a pretty commonly used term in England, and when I was over there, Doing clinics, I kept hearing it, and of course, I was too dumb to ask somebody what it meant. But I, so, <laughs> but I got home, I looked it up in my trusted little equine dictionary, 
and there it was, a, a nappy horse, is a trained horse who refuses to respond to properly applied aids, particularly as it relates to being leaving the barnyard. But in those terms, almost all of us have experienced a, a trained horse that just refuses to leave the barnyard, and, you know, that is a late-stage symptom of an ongoing problem that horse and rider have been having, starting with the horse not trusting the rider or the handler to be the leader of the herd, to have the authority and leadership skills to be able to make the horse feel safe and comfortable in their presence, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, it does. So what kind of things happen to us when we're riding a horse with these issues? Well, you know, you in terms of herd-bound can describe a lot of different behaviors, whether you're on the ground or riding. And when you're riding, at the very least, the horse might be looking back to the barn or looking ahead, if that's where the other horses are, or, um, or just looking around, period, which means the horse is not focused on you and the horse is not really in your complete authority. And um, so that would be a minor symptom up to the horse flat refusing to leave the area of the herd or the barn, uh, rearing, balking, uh, bucking, turning around and biting your leg. We just did a, a TV episode on this. In fact, it hasn't aired yet. We recorded it last month in, or in July in uh, Oregon. And it was an otherwise nice little mare. Uh, no reason why it shouldn't have been a nice mare, except that she's gotten away with this kind of a head all her life. She's only a six-year-old trained by an amateur and, you know, all her life she's gotten away with small disobediences as it relates to not leaving the barn. And uh, so the sort of end result is the horse's outright refusal, and that's usually when rearing comes into play because in that case rearing is a refusal to move forward. So those are the problems that, you know, the symptoms of a problem, but much earlier on in that relationship between the horse and the rider and it really and the solution and and people hate hearing this because you know we'd like to find a cheap and easy solution Uh, this one's cheap but it takes some investment and time and courage but you know you have to go back and do groundwork with these horses and that's what natural horsemanship is about is knowing and understanding the horse's natural behavior and then using that information to train him in a way that's understandable. And within his natural behavior, you have to understand that all horses are herd bound. There, it is one of seven gregarious, or excuse me, one of seven instinctive behaviors that horses have is gregarious behavior, and that's the desire to be with the herd because their survival um, and their comfort is dependent on the herd. So, got to go back and do that groundwork and establish some authority over the horse, get him to look to you as not only a herd member, but the herd leader, and feel safe and comfortable in your presence with respect for your authority, then leaving the barnyard is not a big deal. I actually have a herd-bound horse myself who's got big issues with that. And I live in a community where we recently had a young girl die because of this issue. Um, She and a friend went out riding, and they were young kids. They weren't wearing helmets or anything. And they tried to separate their horses. 
and uh, mm-hmm. they went in different directions, and the one horse just completely flipped out, and the kid, you know, got thrown and hit her head and and died. And so, oh, yeah, and, and my horse, he will leave the barn, but after a while, if he's by himself, he starts to whinny and get nervous and start spooking. And, and you know, if, uh, if I take him on a trail trial or a, or a nay track ride, which is what I do, and, you know, a horse is negotiating an obstacle and gets too far away from him, the horse he's riding with, he starts freaking out. So uh, I wanted to talk, too, about what it's like out on the trail when not just leaving the barn, but but having to separate from another horse. Well, you know, there's a lot of issues within that, and and obviously this is a safety issue. And um, and it, although it's an extreme case of um, the gal being killed, that you know sort of illustrates the ultimate safety issue there. But horses that are out of control are, are dangerous. They're dangerous when they're in control. You know, so. Right. <laughs> when they're out of control, you really got a problem. And, uh-huh. you know, do you do groundwork with your horse? Yes, I do. Well, from what you described, you're, that's sort of a medium problem. So mm-hmm. most, to, sounds like to me, most of the time um, your horse is uh, containable and then he just kind of builds up to being a nervous wreck. Um, for you, what I would say is, and you ride in such a way that you can ride out whatever distances he is. He starts really getting boogery and get down, slap that rope halter on him, start doing some groundwork with him, do, you know, 20, 30 minutes of groundwork with him until he's calm and quiet and focused and then ride him back. And for somebody that's having a bigger problem or for somebody that doesn't already do groundwork with their horse, they've got a long way back to go establishing authority over that horse. In the case of the woman we did the TV show with, this was a six-year-old horse. When she got the horse, she was a very competent rider, but she'd never trained a horse before. And what she ended up with was a sassy mare. And, um, you know, for three years, this problem had been building. And so that's it. And then that's the horse that's rearing and refusing to go and turn around biting and kicking and, you know, just flat out refusing and that's a much bigger problem and you know I could ride that horse through her tantrums and I could probably school her up in short order but I'm a professional rider and have been for you know 30 years mm-hmm. so you know the reality is even though this guy was a competent rider she really needed to go back to basics with this horse both both groundwork and just riding around the barn keeping the horse's focus keeping the horse's obedience meaning this was a horse that every time you'd turn towards the barn and speed up, every time you turn away from the barn and slow down. Well, those are both unauthorized decisions a horse made, and that's disobedience. So it's all these little tiny disobediences. For me, a horse that looks around is disobedient. If he picks, you know, his job is to go where I point him. His job is to follow, not look around. That's my job. And so you have to have that kind of authority with the horse. And, and, you know, the other thing I would say about your horse is, guess what? My horse is is particularly prone to be herd bound too. He's a highly finished performance horse, but by nature, he is a very gregarious horse. The Mm -hmm. good news about that means that he likes to be around people too. He'll take anybody. He'll, he'll be around anybody, cat, dog, people, uh, but he especially likes other horses. I have to watch him like a hawk. 
Now, my husband's horse, and, we, of course, we travel together with our horses, and my husband's horse could care less. He was a breeding stallion until he was eight and always by himself, and stallions aren't particularly, they, they have herd issues, but they don't, you know, they're more possessiveness rather than, um, you know, fearfulness, but his horse is not prone to that at all mm-hmm. and never will be. So different horses have different temperaments. It's not necessarily the breed and it's not necessarily the gender. But if you have a horse that is very prone to be, we've got five geldings. My horse and I each have our personal horses and then we have three, anywhere from three to six horses for sale at any one time that we just kind of buy and sell horses for fun. And, um, you know, I was just looking out, the window yesterday and noticing two of the geldings went out and left the other one in because he was going to get work and he was all bothered by it and pissy about it and mine made a middle note myself okay we got to do a little attitude adjustment on this horse he's going to have to stay in maybe for a day or two um, we're going to work him uh, with a little more awareness to him looking to the barn looking to the other horses so if you're just Aware of it and conscious of your horse's behavior and you correct small disobediences. And I mean really small ones. Like I'm talking about when I mount, horse better not take a step until I cue him to take a step. He doesn't walk off just because the horse had walked off in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he stands quietly when I ask him to stand. And, you know, that's maintenance. And, yeah, that's kind of the way I feel with, with my horse as far as the, uh, his, herd boundness it's just a con- constant maintenance program and if i'm showing him i have to be very careful to stay away i don't go hang out at the end gate with all the other 15 horses standing there getting all cozy buddied up to each other um i take him out i'm always by myself i take him keep him away from my husband's horse i don't i don't you know hound on him doing stuff we just go out on a nice relaxed walk but he has to stay focused where i'm going and not what what's going on back there so just a constant maintenance program you got to do especially with those ones that tend to be more herd bound okay well we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk to julie more about dealing with the herd bound horse we'll be right back why the long face? I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner. Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. 
We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we are talking to Julie Goodnight. Julie, you we were talking about um, keeping a horse focused and little signs that your authority is not being recognized. What about horses that, when you're riding them or hand-walking them, dive for grass? Well, that is, that's a dominance issue. And so the nature of the herd, and, and just as understanding that all horses are herd-bound is important, also understanding the nature of the herd and the hierarchy of the herd. And most people that have been around horses sort of get this um, intuitively, but the, the nature of a horse herd is, is what's referred to as a linear hierarchy. And that means there's a horse at the top called the alpha horse, and then there is the next horse in line in terms of authority. That's the beta horse. And it's a linear hierarchy. No two horses are on an equal plane. The horse at the very bottom of the pecking order is referred to as the omega individual. And uh, he's the skinny, you know, quiet horse that gets beat up all the time. And that horse at the top is the alpha. So within that structure, and that and the herd is very dependent on that structure. The alpha individual has a lot of responsibilities. He is responsible for leading the herd to food for motivating the herd light if it should be necessary, for monitoring the environment for danger, um, and for maintaining discipline in the herd. So she, and I say she because in a mixed herd, it's almost always a mare, she has a lot of responsibilities. And in exchange for those responsibilities, she also has some perks. So the pecking order is important to understand, and and by the way, getting back to this barn sour herd bound horse or can't separate from the other horses, that is an authority issue because and a dominance issue as well, because if she thinks of you as the alpha, she will she will be obedient and she will go with you. But um so you have this linear hierarchy and dominance is very simple. Factor number one is that the dominant horse controls the food. And so when you're leading this horse and he dives down for food, clearly he doesn't respect your authority. And what that horse needs to know is you're the one that says when he can eat. And he can't just eat whenever he wants to and when he's working or when he's under your guidance, whether he's in hand or under saddle. So that is, it's good you brought that up, Audrey, because that's one of those really early signs that you look for. When you go to feed this horse in his pen, does he rip the food out of your arms or does he step back and patiently and politely wait for you to place the food in his container and turn around and walk away? The dominant horse in the herd always controls the food and water. They always eat and drink first. They control everything that's of value to the herd. So the dominant horse always controls the resources. He gets to roll in the best spot, you know, first at the water, first at the food. So a lot of our dominance problems with horses are, in fact, created by food. The second factor, by the way, is spatial. The dominant horse always controls the space of the subordinate horse. And people constantly get themselves in trouble with their horses this way as well by letting the horse, not only letting the horse, but encouraging the horse to disrespect their space 
all that does is telegraph to the horse that he's dominant. So, but getting back to the food, hand-feeding treats is another big issue. People that tend to hand-feed treats to their horses uh, in very short order, the horse is expecting, you know, if you feed treats, you feed them in a certain pattern. Every time your horse does something you like or, you know, there's a pattern and the horse will know the pattern way before you will. And as soon as he knows the pattern, then he comes to expect that treat. Well, it's not very long. It doesn't take a very big shift in the horse's mind for him to think he's taking the treat away from you because, and this is an area where we are far too caught up in our human mind to sort of understand and observe the horse's point of view. Um, but when you walk into the barn and the horse goes, <laughs> uh, you know, most of us think, oh, that's so sweet, my horse loves me. But that <laughs> sound does not mean I love you. It's, in fact, one of four audible communications a horse makes, and they each have specific meanings, and that sound means come to me. So the horse is beckoning you to him, and then he demands that you give him the treat that he knows he, you have in your pocket and throw in a few headbutts in there in the meantime and invading your space. Finally, we whip the treat out and give it to him. And the horse doesn't understand that, you know, we think, oh, this is a horse cookie. I wouldn't eat it anyway. I'm, he's not taking it away from me. I was going to give it to him. But from the horse's point of view, he's totally controlling your actions and taking the food away from you. So in the law of horsedom, that can only mean one thing, that he's dominant over you. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing when you're leading him or riding him and he dies for grass, he thinks that's his grass. So again, we have to go back to very fundamental stuff, groundwork and all uh, issues in riding of, of authority and obedience. How do you handle um, a situation where, I mean, like, say my horse is, <laughs> you're describing my horse. Um, <laughs> basically, he dives for grass, he invades my space, you know, he does all that stuff. And, you know, whether I'm riding him or hand walking him, and mm -hmm. it's a constant battle because he does it, I correct him, and then he does it again. And, and it's constant. Okay, there's the key words. I correct him and he does it again, and I correct him and he does it again. There's a very, very simple concept in the training of all animals that is addressed by that. And it says that however your horse is behaving at this moment in time is the way he's most motivated to act. To change his behavior, you have to find the amount of pressure that motivates him to change. And this is true whether we're talking about horses or humans or dogs or, or um, rats. Uh, you have to find the amount of pressure that motivates them for change. And, you know, I was just saying to my husband last night, you know, for, for a, lot, a lot of humans, that pressure comes in the form of money. And so, yes, I'm willing to work 70, 80 hours a week really hard and have a stressed out and, you know, burned out and no family life and all of that if I'm making $500,000 a year or a million dollars, whatever your, however much pressure it takes to motivate you. In the case of horses, when we train them and we make a correction for bad behavior, it has to be enough pressure to motivate that horse to change. It has to be enough pressure to make the horse stop what he's doing and go, whoa, what was that? Mm -hmm. How do I make sure that doesn't happen again? Let me think about this a little harder next time. Right. And the difference between a professional rider and an amateur rider is that the professional rider is going to put 
at least the right amount of pressure right away the very first time at the very first inkling of the behavior. I constantly tell people in clinics, I would rather see you err on the side of too much pressure in a correction than to make a correction over and over and over again. If I use too much pressure the first time, it's very obvious my horse right. overreacts to the correction. Mm -hmm. If there's no reaction at all to the correction, like he didn't even really stop what he was doing and notice you corrected him, that wasn't nearly enough pressure. And every horse is different in the amount of pressure he takes. Getting back to my husband's horse and my horse, they're night and day. They're the same breed. Um, their breeding is not that far off. But um, they couldn't be more different in, in everything, including the amount of pressure it takes to motivate them. My horse tries really hard 100% of the time. He's an overachiever, worrywart, you know, pre-ulcer stomach and just, you know, tries really hard. A correction breaks his heart and he's so sensitive that you don't, it doesn't take much of a correction to get a big reaction from him. My husband's horse, I, I, it, it astounds me at the amount of pressure he can take and not even notice it. That sounds like mine. And he is also, again, he was a breeding stallion until he was eight, so he's very stoic. He's very strong. He can take a lot. And he's very dominant. And he, he's used to being the, you know, top dog, end-all, be-all horse on the farm, you know. And uh, so, anyway, that, you know, gets back to the temperaments again. But so, number one, finding the amount of pressure that motivates it, that the horse has changed. If I say that once in a clinic, I say it 50 times. Now, the uh, other issues, you know, you have to go back to groundwork, and I have a video called Lead Line Leadership that is just takes you through a series of exercises to do on the ground with the horse in order to establish authority. Horses thrive and crave authority. And when we talk about authority and obedience, sometimes I feel like, oh, yeah, this is sounding so, you know, old school or whatever. But horses crave that. Nothing makes them feel safer and more secure than the security of a herd under a good, strong, fair leader. So we have to figure out how to achieve that with our horses and, and, and the groundwork um, and looking out for those little disobediences. I think too for a lot of people especially women who might have a horse like mine who's he's a spanish mustang he's a tough little guy and uh he's one of the things that's nice about him is that he's so you know he's not real spooky i mean he, he'll barge right into a you know a herd of cows or whatever but on, on the other hand he's thick-skinned too and mm -hmm. you know it, it's like i feel like you know i correct him pretty hard and it obviously isn't phasing him because he continues the behavior so I mean, I feel well, like... Well, those horses are tough, and it's and for my husband, he's never really had a horse that requires that much pressure. Um, and that's another thing about the professional riders. They're just better at, at putting pressure on it, whether it be with the hands or the legs or, you know, lead rope or whatever. But there is an amount of pressure that will motivate him, and, and uh, actually, I, I can't help but laugh because my husband's horse just got back from a little two-week tune-up with the trainer, and the uh, the trainer we bought him from just lives about an hour away from us, and he's a world champion reigning cow horse trainer, and he's 
awesome. We go down and train with him quite a bit. And uh, so we took him down there for two weeks, and we were and then Rich rode him yesterday for the first time. And, of course, he was Mr. Johnny on the spot. Uh, you just barely move your leg, and he responds to it. But he's got a little spur rash on him from the two weeks. Right. Two weeks with the mafia, basically. Right, right. <laughs> That's what it takes, uh, I guess. <laughs> you know, how great is that that you don't even have to be there and watch it? <laughs> right, right. But, That's somebody else do it. Yeah. And but you know, a high level performance horse with which this is requires you know regular tune ups from a, a professional rider, and mm-hmm. um, you know we're lucky to have this guy, young guy, right now, world champion rider, right down the road. So. Um, that was one reason we bought the horse from him, so yeah. you know, we could continue training with him. And well, it sounds like some of them are easier than others, that's for sure, and I don't think I have an easy one. But <laughs> Well, yeah. it's just a big trade-off, because you know what? I'll tell you what, you can get hurt on this horse, because he, he really doesn't react to anything. You can take him anywhere, you can take him by himself, he doesn't care. There's a lot of great qualities there. My horse is a really, really cool horse, and he's a real machine. But you better know what you're doing. There, you have to be a really good rider to not overcue him, or, or you know, make mistakes that stress him out. And you know, he's I have to keep him on, you know, probiotic, to, uh, or he, you know, gets off his feed, and you know, so it's just high maintenance all the way around, and right. versus low maintenance all the way around. So right. Yeah. Everything's so a trade-off. They're so different. They're just like people. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Julie, thank you for being my guest this week. This has been great. And I like to encourage everybody to take a look at the episode notes page on the Horse and Rail website for a link to Julie's website, which is www.juliegoodnight.com. She's got great articles and all kinds of really good stuff on there. Um, you can get some of her training videos and get all kinds of help with your horse. If you have any questions or comments about horsing around, please email me at audrey at petliferadio.com. Until next time, happy trails. Stop what you're doing and start horsing around. Every week on Pet Life Radio, horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin' gallopin' good time. Every week on Horsin' Around, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.